0: Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Amen. You may be seated. Yes, let's give the Lord a hand. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Pastor Seth. Pastor Sam, what, I don't know um, what I should call you. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, I'm, I'm really thankful. Um, just to be able to worship all together, and I'm so thankful just to be able to also preach and share the word uh, for this morning. And uh, as you know, we've been going through the book of Ruth, and this series called Steadfast, and um, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ruth uh, chapter 2. We're going to cover verses 14 to 23, Ruth chapter 2, 14 to 23, and uh, if you haven't downloaded the mobile app, you can actually, I want to encourage you to do that because there's are some notes uh, in the mobile app that you can go along, follow along with, and have the passage as well as some fill-in-the-blank uh, to help you follow through with uh, some of the verses. But uh, how many of us have been enjoying the book of Ruth? Or let, me, let me ask this way. How many sisters have been enjoying studying the book of Ruth? A woman yeah! in the Bible, amen. How many brothers have been enjoying it? Woo! Oh, all right. I thought the brothers were going to be a little less than the sisters, but it sounds like the brothers are more excited. Um... We've been talking about a lot of different issues um, going through, you know, uh, Ruth, who's going through tough times and adversity, Naomi as well, uh, being able to uh, live in faith, believing that God is at work. As we remember back in chapter one, Ruth was this foreigner who married into Naomi's family from her sons, but then uh, unfortunately, Naomi's uh, sons both passed away, as well as her husband. And so Ruth now goes back with Naomi. To Bethlehem, to the to the land of the Israelites uh, to find hope because she heard that the famine was over and that God's favor was back with them. And then last week, we talked about this whole idea of um, Ruth who, who just happened to wander into a field of a man named Boaz, who was a worthy man, who was a man of valor. And, and all of these, quote unquote, coincidences happened where it just so happened that Ruth had this contact with Boaz. They, she had this conversation, and then she was provided for by him allowing her to be in that field and collect grain. And the one thing from last week, as we remember, was that when you believe in God's providence, then you don't see things as coincidence. And for many of us, we, had, we studied this in our life groups this past week, and it was an encouraging time for us to be able to connect with God and just remember how big He is, how He's in control of everything in our lives, and how that allows us to take a step and, and for us to trust in Him. And I know many of us, we've been, we've been enjoying that, and it's opened up our perspective just to say, oh, maybe, maybe I do need to learn to trust God. Maybe I haven't seen God sovereign and providential as the Bible says He is. But as we pick up in this next section of the book of Ruth, I, I wanted to ask us, What happens when you say that you believe in God's providence? You say, I believe God is the creator of all heaven and earth. I believe that he does all things. I believe everything's in his control. But then in your personal life, you don't believe or you don't expect anything from God. Like what happens when you have that kind of mindset? Or let me ask the question in a different way. What good is it if you believe in God's providence but you don't expect that God is going to be good to you personally. What good is it? You can say all you want, God is great, God is sovereign, that He's put everything into motion if you don't personally believe that God is going to be a personal God to you. And you know it's kind of like uh, some kids if, I don't know if you grew up believing in Santa Claus, right? Um, I know there are some kids that still believe in Santa Claus these days, but it is it's someone who believes in Santa Claus. And believes that Santa Claus is going to give a lot of gifts to all kids all around the world, but says, Santa Claus is never going to give, never going to give any gifts to me. I don't know how many of you grew up in that kind of household where you, you know, other friends would believe in Santa Claus, but your parents already spoiled the secret Santa Claus isn't real. You're like, no, They're like, I'm not going to get any presents this, this year. And, and maybe we're scarred by that, you know, by that experience where your po- parents spoiled it. For you at such a young age that you start, uh, will forget Santa Claus. And, and for some of us, it really hits home when we realize that we can believe in God's providence all we want, but unless we believe that God is a God for us, then it really isn't going to make any difference for our lives. I, I wanted to do a quick uh, activity with all, all of us here and, and do a quick poll with a scenario that I think will help us to understand uh, just this idea of expecting something from God in a personal way, in ways that we might be guarding ourselves from expecting things from God. So I want to give us a scenario, and it's going to be a Mentimeter poll. So what we're going to do is actually I'm going to ask you to take out your phones in church, okay? Take out your phones in church, and then go to menti.com. You're going to go to menti.com, and I think it's going to be up here. There's a QR code, you can also go to the bit.ly Sermon14June. Just go to m- menti.com, use the code 466056. And I'm going to take a, a quick poll, and I'm going to give us a scenario, and in the scenario, you have to choose which part or which response that you would lean most favorably, favorably to. All right. So I'm going to give us the scenario, the first question you're, just pretend, just imagine you're at a nice restaurant. Just think about whatever your favorite restaurant is. and Just imagine you're sitting there with a, a group of friends, and you're looking at the menu. And there's quite a, a number of different you know, items on the menu. And you see something on the menu, or you see two items on the menu. You see one that you want, which is 120 Hong Kong dollars, while there's another that's 60 Hong Kong dollars. All right, there's two items on the menu. You see one that you want, and it's 120 Hong Kong dollars. And then there's another for 60 Hong Kong dollars, half as much as the one that you want. Which one would you choose? So I think uh, we're going to go to the, the Mentimeter. And what I want you to do is answer that question. And we're going to crowdsource this idea of which one will we choose. So go ahead and pick that one. And then answer the question, which one would you choose? And hopefully, we're going to see some examples of what's happening. All right. I don't know if some of you can see it, but right now, it's more 60, but the 120 is catching up, all right? We're at about, I would say about 40% would choose 120, and the other 60% would choose the 60 Hong Kong dollar meal option. All right, I'm not going to... I'm not going to guess like, what this says about us, okay? But you, you can think about it for yourself, what that says. I was, thinking, I, was, I was thinking, well, maybe I should put a photo of McDonald's, right, for the, the $60 one. But then I realized that would tip the scales because some of you love McDonald's, and that would be a bad, <laughs> a bad choice. All right, second question, and this is what I really want to get at. Second question, same situation. Same situation, but you realize that you have an extra 200 Hong Kong dollars in your wallet. If you had an extra $200 in your wallet, which one would you choose? Would that change the calculation of what you chose or not? Go ahead and answer that second question. Whoa. All right. Now it flipped. Now we have about... 33% that would choose the 60 Hong Kong dollar option and now we have about, you know, the other two-thirds picking the 120 Hong Kong dollar option. So I set you up, all right? This is called the abundance test. If you go on some websites, it's a psychology test. And uh, the, the author of this test talks about what makes people make certain decisions or out of what kind of mindset... Does someone make certain decisions, whether it's a 60 Hong Kong dollar or 120 Hong Kong dollar? It is, it's really what you choose. And then the, the switch happens is when that author gives you the extra scenario of you have an extra 200 Hong Kong dollars in your pocket. And this is what the author says. I'll just read it for us. He says, when, when you first think of that choice, you notice when you first look at 120 versus 60, you notice that you start playing math games in your head and you start rationalizing, like, what could I do, X, Y, and Z, with the other $60 that I'm not spending? What can I do? How can I save it? I can't tell if I'm just trying to justify settling for the cheaper dish or if that's the dish that I really, really want. And then, after he gives the $200 extra bonus, then he asks the question, if you actually, or he says the comment, if you chose the, the, if in the second question you still chose the $60 meal, that means you're congruent with that meal and that price, which means that price wasn't the deciding factor for getting what meal you wanted. That means you really wanted that dish. But if your answer flipped and instead after receiving $200 more, then you would choose the 120 Hong Kong dollars, then you would realize that your decision was coming from a place of lack rather than abundance and what that scarcity mindset was influencing your true desires. And so pretty much what he's saying is that if we chose, if we flipped our decision, you went from, uh, you went from choosing the $60 one to the $100 one, uh, $120 one, it means we're operating out of the scarcity mindset it means that we don't expect to have abundantly so therefore we're always going to choose the option that reflects more of this scarcity or this poverty mindset and and what he's really pretty much trying to say is he's not trying to advocate for reckless spending but he's saying that this is a mindset that we often times have not just in picking which dish that you have or what meal that you choose but it's a mindset that we often propagate in other areas of our lives when we make any kind of choice when we see any kind of option that is presented before us, that we oftentimes see through things through this kind of scarcity mindset or a mindset where you don't expect much from the environment or the circumstances around you. And again, I'm not advocating for reckless spending. I'm not saying every single time you should always get the $120 meal. Right? We should be still responsible and faithful with the resources that we've given. But the point is to recognize that our behaviors are influenced by our perception of whether we have abundance or whether we have scarcity. And that's directly connected to what is our expectation of what God has given to us in this life. What do we, how do we see God? Do we see God as a generous God? Do we see God as a, a God that gives a lot? Or do we see God as a God who gives very little and that we just have to somehow get by on our own? And oftentimes, I would say this is how we treat him. We treat him as a God who doesn't give a lot. And because of that, we expect very little from him. And so that's why we asked that question in the beginning. What good is it if you believe in God's providence, but you don't have any expectations that God will give Abundantly to you, or that God will be good to you. And that's what we're going to talk about as we look into uh, this book and this passage in Ruth 2. And we're going to pick up at uh, verse 14. Hopefully, you've turned it to it by now. We're going to read just the first part of verse 14. It says, And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, now he's talking to Ruth, he says, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. So Boaz allows Ruth to glean. So we saw in last part, in last uh, last week's sermon, we saw uh, Ruth just wander, just just so happens to wander into Boaz's field, and then Boaz finds out that this woman named Ruth is there, and he meets her, and he has this conversation with her, and he says, "May the Lord have favor upon you. May the Lord repay you." And the Ruth is like, "Oh, why have I found favor with you, right?" And that's where it leaves off. And as soon as this passage starts off, then as she's gleaning, then there's a meal mealtime. Well, I'm not sure if this is lunchtime or any other time, but it's some kind of mealtime. And then Boaz, he says, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And if you, just put yourself in her shoes for just a couple moments. This is, this is Ruth. She's a, she's a foreigner. She's a foreign woman. She's very, very poor. She doesn't have much. She doesn't have a husband. She, her, her mother-in-law doesn't have a husband. So really they're two widows who've come back and they don't have means to provide for themselves. At least in that time, that culturally that was what has happened. If you were widowed, you didn't have the means to provide for yourself, So all you could do was just beg. All you could do is go to someone's field and then hopefully like someone would just somehow see you and allow you to pick up grain, the leftover grain, whatever was left over there. And, and initially, what Boaz had said earlier on in, in the previous passage, we saw that Boaz said, stay with my young women. So he knew that, or she knew that that was a safe place to, to glean and to collect grain as long as she stayed with his young women. But, but now we see all of a sudden he says, come here. It's no longer stay with the young It says, come here and share a meal with me. And I don't know if some of you, like, how you would feel. Ladies, I don't know how you would feel if this random guy goes up to you and says, hey, come have a meal with me. Some of you later say, hello, like, Boaz is here, I'm ready. But I know many of us are going like, strange or danger, right? I don't know what this guy's intentions are. I don't know what his motives are. Like, I am just like this poor Ruth, widowed poor woman. And, and what is this guy expecting of me? And especially in the, in the Asian mindset, right? Anytime someone offers us something, like, please come have a meal. Please, you know, let me invite you over to my home. We're like, no, 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 no. No, 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 really? In your mind, you're like, yes, 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 yes. Please give me, you know, but just to be polite or just to, you know, uphold the cultural values. No, 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 I don't want to inconvenience you. I don't want to... Uh, take anything from you because what does that mean? That means I have to somehow repay you or give you back. And it puts us in a very uncomfortable situation. And what we see here is that for Ruth and Boaz, it really mirrors our view of God and how we see him. If we have a very low sense of expectation of God, then that will really impact what we're able to receive. Hebrews, and this is a biblical principle, Hebrews 4 Verse 16, the Amplified Version, let's read it together in the yellow. It says, Therefore, let us with privilege approach the throne of grace, that is, the throne of God's gracious favor with confidence and without fear, so that we may receive for our failures and find his amazing grace to help in time of need an appropriate blessing coming just at the right moment. Like how many of us we we God is extending his hands to say, come here. Come and be with me. Come and eat with me. Come and spend time with me. How many of us were like really proactively excited to say, I I can't wait. I know there's this banquet feast in front of me ready to receive. Or how many of us, we have this really low sense of expectation that says, you know what, I'm too busy. There are other things I need to take care of. So we never actually come to God. If Ruth had never come to Boaz, then she would have missed out on so many things. Let's see what some of those things would have been. Uh, we're going to finish off in that second half, 14b. And uh, it says, So she sat beside the reapers, he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. So the first thing that we see that Ruth would have missed out on if she had these low expectations, said, no, 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 I, you know, I'm too unworthy, I'm not going to have anything. She would have missed out on godly satisfaction totally would have missed out on being fully satisfied by God. In verse 14 in, in the ESV, is that, that, that phrase that says, until she was satisfied. Let me read it for us in two different translations. In the New Living Translation, it says, all she wanted. Everything she possibly could fit into her stomach. She, she ate all she wanted. In the New Century Version, it says, until she was full. Didn't say like 70%. I don't know, some of you consider 70% full. Some of us, we eat big. so we go, When we go to the buffet, we go all out, right? You, go all, you try to make the most of your money, right? And you eat all out. Like, think of the last really good meal that you had where you were so satisfied. Just think about it for a moment. How did you feel? Okay, I'm not talking about the satisfied where you, you, you overate and you're now at like 120% and you're like, feel like, oh, I might want to throw up. You feel horribly. Now, I'm not talking about that kind of situation. I'm talking about when you have a really great meal and you're so satisfied. And what accompanies that feeling of satisfaction is not just the satisfaction in your stomach, right? Sometimes it's with a great group of friends. Sometimes it's with family. Sometimes it's with this person that you're really interested in. You're like, wow, that was such a great meal. It went so well. But think about it, like when we're satisfied, it's not, just a, it's not just a satisfy of our carnal desires in the sense of we're full and our stomachs are, are happy, but there's a sense of joy, there's a sense of happiness, there's a sense of fulfillment that accompanies that. And, and if we look too much on just the food aspect of it, we'll miss out on the fact that God wants to satisfy us. He is the one who's going to bring us the greatest satisfaction. We see this in John 10.10. 10. In the New Living Translation, it talks about the thief's purpose is steal, kill, and destroy. But his purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Life and life to the full. He wants to give us a satisfying life. And I feel like often that we get, we get this idea of satisfaction wrong so often. Like we have this worldly idea of, oh, if I have low expectations and if I, if I don't expect much, then I won't get disappointed. But then if something really good happens, then I'm going to be so happy. Right? We, hear, we hear a lot of advice out there. If you Google YouTube and you click on low expectations, right? there's a lot of TED Talks about like have low expectations because you're never going to be disappointed and you're never going to miss out on stuff. And then when something great happens, then you're going to be really happy. But that's, you know what? You know the, the false thing about that is that they never tell you is that that's only true if you get somehow with low expectations, you get the maximum experience, right? That's only true if you go into a restaurant thinking it's gonna be the worst restaurant ever, and then somehow it's like the best service that you've ever received in your life. It's only true if we have low expectations and we get the maximum experience. But oftentimes what happens is if we have low expectations, then we also receive the minimum experience. You know what I'm saying? Oftentimes, when we have low expectations, we set ourselves up for the minimum experience. I, uh, I hate theme parks. I absolutely hate theme parks. And part of it is because, I, I, I know some of you are like, oh, Pastor Bo, you're missing out on so much. And I know some of you love the rides. I hate the rides, because every time I go on the rides, I get dizzy. And, and I think... I was thinking about, like, why is it that I hate theme parks so much? And in my mind, I started realizing the reason why I hate theme parks so much is, number one, they charge you, like, arm and a leg up front. Like, the entrance fee is so expensive. And then once you get into the theme park, what happens? All the food is, like, three times what you could get outside. So every single time I'm, like, going and, you know, there's some food and you're, like, hungry, like I'm with my friends, and I realize every single time I'm looking at the prices at the theme park for some of the kiosks, I'm like thinking like, oh, this thing would be like 20% of what it costs, like what I'm looking at right here. It's like, nah, I'm not gonna get anything. And then I go to another thing, and there's some, you know, there's some like games there. You're like, oh yeah, let's play some games. Like, nah. Like, I could play that game on my mobile phone, it'll be free <laughs> and just as fun, right? And so by the end of the day, I'm tired, like I didn't really do much. I just walked around, everyone else went on these rides, and everyone else played the games, everyone else had food. And then, I, you know, I get, the, like, the, the cheapest thing is, like, a little corn dog. I'm like, okay, I had my corn dog for the day. And I'm like, oh, guys, you know. And then everyone else is like, oh, I had so much fun. It was so great. And I'm like, oh, it was. Just, okay. it sucked. It wasn't that great. And I realized, like, I, I go in with low expectations. I live in myself because, because I have that low expectation. I set myself up for the minimum experience. I set myself up not to enjoy the fullness of the theme park. Of course, I need to operate within my budget. But so much of my mental paradigm or perspective is thinking, oh, if this is not worth it or I could get it somewhere else or this is not really going to work out or I'm not really going to enjoy it. So then I put myself in situations that limits my ability to fully enjoy what I'm doing there. I'm wondering how many of us, we... we we, because of our low expectations, because of our perspective, because of our scarcity mindset, that we automatically insert ourselves into a situation we don't expect much, and therefore we receive so little. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, how many of us, don't raise your hand, how many of us, you, you don't want to put yourself out there for your new life groups? You don't want to fully embrace the new community, the new brothers and sisters that you have around you. You're like, ah, I don't like that person. Oh my LCG's and the other life group now, like oh, there's no one that I can really connect with. Oh my life group name this year is so bad compared to last year's. What is this Achu stuff like? Come on, it's my life group guys, so I can't. Let's go, Achu, (laughs) Achu? Right? But we complain. Like, all we can think about is like, what I don't have. It's not what I expect. It's not what I'm looking for, so I'm not going to put myself out there. But who knows? Like, think about your attitude last time you were in a new life. What if you had the very same attitude last time? And you go into it and you realize you actually met some people there that you never met before that you actually connect with that actually spoke some truth to you and that helped you to grow in ways that you've never grown before. You would totally miss out on those opportunities. Some of us, we go into, it's not just life groups, it's any kind of worship time, church gathering. We're like, ah, I've heard this before. Pastor, Pastor Boy, they always tell the same stories over and over again. Yeah, so I, yeah, because, yeah. And so you just, what, you play mobile video games on your phone during the sermon? Like, some of you think that, you know, we can't see, right? But we see everything out there. See the heads like, nodding like that, you know? We see that. And you go in thinking like, ah, it's just gonna be the same old sermon, same old worship. Doesn't matter who's on the the drums, either way, it's gonna be, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, we have a great, great drummers, right? Amen? Amen. (laughs) But we go in this with kind of mentality, and then what are we gonna receive out of it? What are we gonna get out of a worship experience where we're just watching on our phone something else? You're on Instagram while everyone else is worshiping, of course you're not going to get anything out of it. Of course God is not going to meet you. Why? Because you're thinking about something else. Can you imagine if we would not have these low expectations, if we came in for worship gatherings, if came to life group every single week saying, God, I'm ready to meet you. I'm expecting something from you. Wouldn't that change what we're able to receive? And wouldn't we realize we can be satisfied in a way that we were never satisfied before? Because it's God who satisfies us; it's not these other things in this world. It really begs the question: that Do we believe that God wants to give us the best? Do we really believe that God has a banquet feast for us, laid out, available? We see this Isaiah 55, verses 1 to 2 in the New Century Version. The Lord says, "All." You who are thirsty, come and drink. Those of you who do not have money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on something that is not real food? Why work for something that doesn't really satisfy you? Listen closely to me, and you will eat what is good. Your soul will enjoy the rich food that satisfies. How many of us, we believe that? That God is going to provide, he's going to satisfy us. And not just the worldly materialistic things because he knows that those things will never fully satisfy you. But the things that will genuinely satisfy you are the things that will satisfy your soul. It's his goodness, it's his grace, it's that encounter with God, it's God's word, it's that time of prayer. It's those moments that the world cannot provide that will satisfy us. And every single time we come into a, Uh, a worship gathering, we we come even to our personal quiet times, we don't expect much from God, then that's what we're going to get. We're not going to get much. Our low expectations, it limits our ability to be satisfied in God and to have godly satisfaction. Let's keep on going in verse 15. I'm just going to read that first sentence. It says, When she rose to glean. So this is after, again, we picked up, She's satisfied, and now she's done with the meal. Boaz blesses her, and she's full. And she rose to glean. And this is where we see, again, if we have low expectations, we're going to miss out on God's supply. We're going to miss out on his... So something really weird happens after Ruth comes to eat with the men and then after she's satisfied and then after she gets back up to glean. So some of us are like, what is gleaning? Gleaning is this, this idea of someone who doesn't have much. They're in someone else's field and whatever grain droppings have been left over, they're just picking those up. That's called gleaning. And then someone, you know, just put yourself again in Ruth's mindset. When she goes up to glean... With, low expecta- with that mindset of low expectations, someone can think, oh, yeah, th- I, I've just had enough. And oftentimes, we can feel very embarrassed, right? Like, after you receive something, after someone has really blessed you, you just kind of, like, get up very sheepishly. Oh, th- yeah, thank you, thank you. Like, you just kind of leave very embarrassed, like, oh, yeah, I'll, g- I'll get you next time. And like, you run off to mind your own business. Do live your life the normal way. You f- kind of forget about it. You don't expect much. And in fact, you feel like, oh, i got to work harder to somehow repay back that person or whatever blessing that I receive. And we saw this in, in the previous week because it's oftentimes it's, it's expected. In the previous week, according to the Jewish law, the Israelites were supposed to leave some grain for the poor. And if we put ourselves in Ruth's perspective, we, we might think, oh, yeah, that's, that's all I'm supposed to get. Th- these grain droppings, this is all I'm supposed to receive, so I just gotta work hard, I gotta make do for myself, and I just gotta do the best that I can. And that comes from Leviticus nineteen, verse nine to ten in the New Living Translation. Let me just read it for us quickly. It says, and this is speaking to the Israelites, it says, When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field. Do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunches of grape from the vines, and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. And so we might think, oh, Ruth is very reasonable just to like be a little bit embarrassed, to go to that field, and then just to say, okay, I got to you know, live in accordance to this law, right? This law is there, so I can do this, but I just got to make do with the little droppings of grain that I receive. And what does that mindset set us up for? Is It sets us up for expecting just the leftovers. It sets us up just for expecting, I'm just going to make do with what I've been given, with what I have. Not expecting anything beyond what God wants to give to us. Oftentimes this is expressed in different ways of saying it, like this is just what's fair. Or this is just what I earned. Or this is just the life that I've been given. Like Without verbalizing it, many of us have thought that. Many of us think that way. Oh, this is just my life. Like, struggles that we've been going through our whole lives. Like, this is just who I am. And I can't say, see anything beyond that. That was the law. Ruth could have been, that was the law. This is all that I get. And many of us, we could just sit there thinking, oh, this is my lot in life. This is who I, These are who are my parents are. And I am defined by who my parents are, by my socioeconomic background, and I cannot ever get past that this is the mental struggle that I've had had it since I was eight years old and this is just who I am this is the way that I was abused this is the way that I was bullied this is the way that I was treated growing up and this is just who I am and there's nothing I can do about it how many of us we are so bound so limited in our thinking of what God can provide or what He can do in our lives because of our past, because of socioeconomic circumstances, because of things going on around us. And it really prevents us from experiencing what Ruth is right about to experience. Let's pick up on 15B. It says, Boaz instructed his young man, saying, young men saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. You know, we, we might read this over and like, oh, that, cool, he's just being a nice guy. What? Just look at it. It says, pull out some bundles for her. Let her glean among, well, you're like, what are sheaves, or chefs, or, chefs? or sheaves? What is a sheaf? So I actually pulled out a photo of, a, of sheaves. I don't know if we have it there. Do we have some photos of sheaves? They're bundles of grain. And so in this case, I think these are bundles of wheat. But in that time, it was bundles of barley. So I don't even know what barley looks like. But anyways, I'm, a, I'm, I'm guessing they look pretty similar. So what would happen is the farmers, what they would do is once the, the wheat and the grain grew tall, then they would, that's why they were called reapers, right? They would reap the grain. They would cut it down. And then they would collect it in these bundles. And then they would tie it, right? So you see there's this little, like, There's this little string or rope. I don't know exactly what it is. They tie it together in these bundles. And these were sheaves. And they they would do this and they would pile it. You see a lot of different piles. They would pile it together so that later on they could easily collect it and they could easily process it to take out all the grain. And so that's that's how they would harvest. And so what Leviticus, that passage we read earlier, what it allows poor people to do is that allows all the grain droppings that are left out. So let's say they're threshing, they're, reaping and then they're collecting, inevitably some stuff is going to drop. So when that stuff drops, then they're commanded, don't pick up those, those leftovers. Don't pick up the stuff that you left there, dropped there. Just focus on the sheaves that you have and then leave everything else for the poor. But what we see Boaz here doing, he's saying, don't just leave the droppings. But literally take the sheaves, let her glean among the sheaves. Like, if you had, I don't know if you, statistically or probability, if you were to guess where are the most grain droppings, where would they be? Around the sheaves, right? If you're bringing all the grain bundles to that one place, probably where things drop the most are around that area. And then not only that, he says, pull, pull some out from the sheaves. Like, and, and can you imagine what the young men were probably thinking? Like, man, we worked so hard to cut that stuff down, to bundle it up, to put in these piles, and now you want us to pull something out for this woman? That's, 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 that's just God laying it out for Ruth through Boaz. God is using Boaz to bless Ruth above and beyond her wildest expectations. And for us, our question is that do we expect God to supply all that we need, to go out of his way to bless us, to go above and beyond our expectations? Or do we believe that God is a stingy God? Or do we believe that somehow we gotta earn, we gotta work for everything that we have? Or do we express the kind of faith that God is gonna supply all that we need? And some of us might ask, Pastor Bo, I don't see God blessing me. I don't, I don't see him pulling the sheaves out for my life. Like, if that was true, then I would have a job by now. Amen, graduates? <laughs> I don't see that. I, like, all, if someone else is getting all these interviews, I haven't gotten a single call back. And every single time I get a call, like, that person doesn't speak the language that I speak. And so I'm like, well, that could, that, God, where is it? And I'm not saying, I'm not, again, I'm not preaching this prosperity gospel. I'm not saying if you follow God, then therefore everything is going to be great and abundant in your life. Don't get me wrong in that sense. Don't think that, okay, as long as I pray and I go to church and I read my Bible, that somehow God is going to make me wealthy. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is if you are stingy, or if you believe that God is stingy, then you will be stingy yourself. That you will not believe that he will provide for you in the time that he wants to. And vice versa, if you you see God is generous, then you are going to be able to be generous and expect much from God. Where do we see this in the Bible, Pastor Bo? Let's look at Matthew 5, verse 26 to 28, New Living Translation. Jesus responded, and this is Jesus now talking to a woman. And she was actually not a Jewish woman. She was a non-Jewish woman. And at that time, Jews were not supposed to associate with non-Jews. But they have this interaction which is really telling of God's heart and his generosity. We see Matthew 15, verse 26 to 28. It says Jesus responded, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. And then she replied, That's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. I know she's talking about scraps right now. And I know I I was hinting at, some of us, we have this leftovers mindset, like God just gives us leftovers. But can you see her faith? That she even sees the leftovers of God as something great. She even sees the little that God has provided for her, or the little that she is asking from God as something amazing. And for her, it was the healing of her daughter. And she didn't even deserve to come into Jesus' presence. She was a non-Jew. But here she says, even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. And then Jesus says, your faith is so great. I'm wondering how many of us we have that kind of faith. We have that kind of faith that says, God, even if it's this much, I'm believing that God, I I want to receive that. Whatever it is that you have for me, give it to me. I want it. I'm expecting it from you. I believe that you're a generous and you're a good God. I I feel like she believes that God is a good God more than many of us here in this room believe God is a good God. And that's why we never ask. That's why we never pray. That's why we, we always got, oh, God, please, like if you choose to somehow in your great providence and sovereignty that you would somehow provide me a phone call that I can understand, that somehow that phone call will lead to a job that I possibly could get maybe if, if my credentials match the resume and the requirements that they have. You have all of these conditions in your prayer because you don't really believe that God wants to give you something. Matthew 7, verse 7 to 10. One of the hardest verses to really understand when it comes to God's sovereignty, human responsibility. It says, "'Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? It's a question for us. Do we believe that God is a good father? That he wants to give good gifts to us as his children? Or do we believe that God is a stingy God? Like I see this in my life a lot. Um, And and I realized that even when it comes to making decisions not just for myself But even like when I think about our church I realize sometimes I can have this scarcity or this stingy kind of mindset. I Don't know how many of you remember back, but back a couple years ago during ignite. We were praying for two different campuses Anyone from UST or HKU here? All right a good handful a Couple years ago. We didn't have any and that was because as we were praying for Ignite, we were praying for these, we started at CHK and PolyU, we were praying for other campuses to start up. And as a leadership, you know, from, from, the, from the pulpit we're saying we're praying, from the leadership we're having all this deliberation. The ET, the executive team, and the pastors were like, what do we need to see in order for us to say, yes, we want to start these campuses? We came up with this list of criteria, or markers that we wanted to see. And then always, I remember in those discussions, something just like in my heart, saying, so, yeah, I don't know, God. I don't know if we have enough, you know? I don't know if we can afford this. I, I don't know if this is really, like, a step of faith or, like, we're really getting too far ahead of ourselves. And I'm just thinking, like, yeah, I don't know if it's the best idea. I don't think we should. Like, you know, I was that person, like, you know, put on the brakes. We're going a little too fast. And of course, hindsight is 2020, right? So Pastor can say mm-hmm, all he wants, but hindsight is 2020. <laughs> hindsight is 2020, and now we're like HKUST. Praise the Lord. Yes. Praise God. So many people have been able to experience God in a way that they've never been able to experience before because some people had some faith and believed that God will provide, and that it wasn't about the scarcity or the stingy mindset that God wouldn't do anything. And I realize that that is so often my mindset. We I, we say these phrases over and over again, like, "Oh, I, I can't do that," or I, "I don't have enough of this," "I can't expend," I, "I don't have enough energy," "I don't have enough time," "I'm not good at this." It won't work out that way. Like, do any of you realize? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you realize that that is oftentimes your vocabulary? and you recognize that your your vocabulary reflects something about your theology and what you believe about God and who you believe him to be if you're constantly a, i cannot or i will I, I, i'm not able to or that's not enough that shows you believe in a god that is not enough a god that will not provide a god that will not give enough for you and is that the the god that we see in the bible no The God of the Bible is a God that provides, that gives, that is sufficient, that is abundant. I don't know what God you're worshiping. But something in our minds has to realize that maybe I don't believe in the God of the Bible. And that should trigger this process of repentance. Because that scarcity mindset, that poverty mindset will kill your relationship with God. You will never receive anything from Him in that sense. Let's continue to look on what Ruth experiences. Because she has this mindset. She experiences God. She receives from Him. Verse 17, it says, So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. It was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up, went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out, gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. It was about an ephah of barley, about several weeks of wages. In one day, she collected enough grain for several weeks of wages, according to some commentators. That's like some of us, we're looking for jobs right now as if like, you worked one day and you earned like the equivalent of one month's salary for one day. Some of you are like, Lord, please rain down on me right now. I need that. Let me be clear. God is not limited by our faith. So just cuz you don't have faith doesn't mean God can't do anything for you or he won't but sometimes he chooses to bless because our hands are out willing to receive. This is an analogy that we use sometimes in our church especially when it comes to like anytime we have a retreat or a conference. We often use this like cup analogy or here I have a small water bottle Sometimes when we come to God or we come to retreat, and it's not just retreat, but it's just life in general. When we come to God, sometimes we hold out these little water bottles or these little cups and say, God, please pour down and fill my cup. And we're asking God to fill our cup and we're saying, God, this is what I want you to give me. And this is the problem. We think our water bottle is pretty decent. Like, I like this water bottle, Bonacqua. It's pretty good water inside pretty good size. I'll take it around the MTR and it's sufficient to get me throughout the day. But how many of we realize that what God is trying to pour out onto us is far more than this little water bottle? But the problem is because we only are holding out this little water bottle, all we can receive is this much. That's it. And you wonder like, God, oh yeah, why am I not getting much? It's because what? It's because our expectations are just this much. But the question is, what if you had a much bigger sense of expectation? Like, what if you said, God, this is my bottle? <laughs> Whoa, right? I didn't know you could just get so excited by a water bottle, right? You've seen this a lot before, right? It's not new, okay? I hope this is not the first time you've seen one of these. But you're woeing because, you like, yeah, God, what if I had this sense of expectation every single time I came into your presence? God, fill me up. Lord, everything. I'm ready to receive all that you have for me. Like, and then, yeah, what if God is pouring out, like, a, a torrential, t- like, we had t, T1, and then T3 recently, like, that's, there's nothing, there's nothing going on. Like, right? God, give me T10. You know, pour it out. Some of you are like, no, Lord, please. But T10 blessings, Amen. Right, Like that kind of torrential downpour that he's going to fill. He, he's always willing. But I'm wondering if it's because the bottles that we have are so small in our lives. The expectations that we have are so limited because all we're holding up is this kind of small bottle. And so that's the question for us is what kind of faith do we have? Are we expecting God to supply all that we need? Or do we limit God? Not that we are able to limit God, but in our mindset, in our perspective, we have this poverty, we have this scarcity mindset. So the way that we live our lives, we see God as a stingy God, and therefore we don't expect much from Him, and therefore we live these subpar lives where God doesn't, we don't really see God doing what we expect Him to do. I want to challenge us with that. Let's continue on and let's look at the last section, and we'll just read that whole section in verse 19 to 23. It says, And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she took, told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley, and we harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. We see one last thing that Ruth receives because she has this expectation of God is she experiences godly selflessness. Naomi, we see right here in the first part of verse 19, Naomi asked the same question two times. Again, I don't know what they I wish there was like a real live action movie of the book of Ruth so we could see like what the intonation and stuff was. But can you imagine like Ruth coming with, with this huge afa or bushel of barley and it's like literally a month's wait. Like can you imagine if you came home and you all of a sudden brought like 30,000 Hong Kong dollars home from one day's worth of wages and, and your roommates are like, where did, you, where did you go today? Where did you go today? Who did you, like, you know, it's kind of like, sh- share with me the goods, you know? And, and you can imagine right now, in Naomi's mind, probably like a lot of gears turning. She's probably like trying to figure out what's going on. Something is going on in her mind. And, and after that, something's processing, and then she says this phrase, she says, blessed be the man who took notice of you. And I think some of us will, will like look by this phrase and be like, oh, it's just, it's just one of those sayings, you know, so it's like, oh yeah, blessed be, you know, this person, you know, just that, that's been really encouraging. But why would, think logically, why would Naomi see blessed be to this man? Because this man probably had a lot, probably owned a field, probably, had, probably didn't need much more. Logically, we should be thinking, oh, Ble- Why didn't she say, "Blessed be the other poor laborers who are laboring alongside you"? Why didn't she say that? Like I think sometimes in our minds, like we think that we should only be able to give back to someone who is deserving of it. We see this in John uh, chapter twelve, verse four to seven. This is about Judas Iscariot, who's the one who betrayed Jesus, and his attitude. When the woman actually poured perfume over Jesus before he was about to be crucified. And so in John 12 it says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. A question for us as we look at and we see this interaction between Judas and Jesus, is if we're in need, if you see yourself in need, are you able to bless someone else? Or... Are you so consumed with your own situation and is your heart so small that you're only able to see your own need and you can't possibly think beyond yourself? Like my question really is, do you have a heart like Judas? Do you have a heart like Judas where he can't see the blessing that that this woman was pouring out to Jesus? Because really, his motive was what? For himself. Because he was constantly in need. He, he loved money. And so he was constantly trying to be satisfied. And he felt like God wasn't giving him enough. And so what did he do? He took things into his own hands, would steal from the money that was used to give to the poor because he didn't have enough. He had the scarcity, this poverty mindset. And so he could not see the blessing that was done to Jesus, the most beautiful thing that was done to Jesus, right before he was about to be crucified. Do we have a heart like Judas? Judas? That when we are in need, because we have low expectations from God, because we have this poverty and this scarcity mindset, that we cannot even think outside of ourselves to say, wow, I want to bless someone else. We're like the Grinch, right? Like, if, you, they can't have Chris, if I can't have Christmas, you can't have Christmas either. Whatever you, I'm going to try to steal it away from you. Like, do you, do you like being around those types of people? Do you like it when people who are like very, you know, like inward focused, like try to save everything for, them, for themselves? And because they save everything, for, everything from the, for themselves, they're never giving to other people. They're always hoarding things for themselves. None of us want to be around those types of people. But the question is, how many of us are those types of people? And I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about our time. Sometimes we fill our schedule so much to the brim. Like, oh, I don't have any time. And so therefore you hoard yourself, your own time for your own agenda, for yourself, and you never think about using that time for someone else. Acts 20 verse 35. This is Paul talking about his experience with Jesus. It says, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do we have this godly perspective that godly blessing comes from godly giving? Complete opposite of what the world thinks. The world thinks in order to give, you have to get first. But the gospel says in order to get, you have to give first. How many of us we believe that? How many of us we know God as that kind of God, that even in our financial giving we say, God, I know I don't have much, but I want to be a distributor. I want to give because I believe as I'm giving, you're going to bless me. Not only financially, materially, but God, spiritually, I'm going to be full. I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to be supplied in everything that I need because I believe that you're that kind of God that believes and says that it is more blessed to give than to receive. A proper view and expectation of God should flow out in generosity and praise to God. If you are not generous and you're not praising the Lord, then my question is, are you really growing with God? That's something that we often say in offering time. If you're not giving generously, then it shows something about what you believe about Him. It shows that you're really not growing in Him. It shows that you don't really believe he is who he is as he says in his word. I want to encourage us to reorient our minds to really believe God is who he says he is. Finish off with now Naomi's perspective because I think this really ties everything together. Because remember back in Ruth chapter one, what was Naomi's nickname? Mara. Right? She called herself bitter because she felt like the Almighty God had dealt bitterly with her. Why? Because she lost her husband. And then her, her sons too. She had nothing. She left the land because of famine and they were just getting by in the land of Moab and now she's going back empty-handed. And in verse 20, we see Naomi's perspective completely change. It says, she's referring to God. She's talking about how his kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. In the New Living Translation, says, He is showing His kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That, ki- that word kindness, that, that's the word hesed in the original language. It's God's infinite, enduring, permanent love for His people. So sh- something about Naomi's perspective has changed. She no longer sees God as this harsh, cruel and stingy God. She sees God as a kind, loving, and abundant God. In the message translation, it says, God hasn't quite walked out on us after all, He still loves us in bad times as well as good. I really like the way it's phrased. Like God hasn't walked out on you. Like, how many of we can say that right now in the situation that you are in? financially in the situation that you're in relationally in the situation you are in with your family in the situation you see that is going global with with the coronavirus even politically you might be like god what is happening in this situation and you start to get inward focus and you start to have this poverty mindset and you start to feel like oh i got to collect everything for myself but my challenge for us is can you say god has not walked out on us after all He's still there. His love is still there. It's ever present. He's given us everything that we need in Christ. And because he's given us everything that we need in Christ, then I can be generous. I can be loving, I could be fruitful. And I can love people well. And I can know God as the God in the Bible, and I can live my life as a believer, as He's called me to be, as a witness and a light. Uh, just, this is a side note, like so many of us, we always talk about, okay. I got to be a light in the city. I got to be a city on a hill. We got to be representing Christ well. But the way you live your life is so contrary to that. You're constantly thinking about yourself. There's no way that you're going to be a blessing to those around you. This is the problem with so many of us. We say all these good Christian things, but the way we live our lives every single day doesn't reflect that at all. I just want to close with this verse and challenge us to think differently. Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 10. If you ever doubt whether or not God has given to you, look at the cross, number one, and look at this passage. Just read Ephesians 1 over. I want to encourage you to memorize it if you need to. So you will never, ever believe that you are in lack or wanting. Ephesians 1, 3 to 10. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and read it together in the Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Everything. He hasn't withhold anything from us. We are co-heirs with Christ. Everything that Christ is gonna get, we're gonna get. But we're also gonna lay it before God the Father in humility. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things in earth we have no excuse for us to say god i haven't got god you haven't given me god you 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 haven't provided for me god you haven't blessed me look here God has blessed us with everything. He's predestined us for adoption. Everything. What happens when you're adopted? That you get everything your parents give or have. We we have been blessed in the beloved. We have redemption through his blood. He paid a lot of money. Or not money, but he paid a lot of cost for us. What was that cost? It was Jesus Christ on the cross. It was his blood that was the cost for us. And we're here thinking like, God, you haven't given me much. Look at the cross. He's given us Jesus Christ. He's given us his blood, his son. What else do you want? And it says in the Bible, if he's given us his son, will he not then give us all things? And the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon, lavished, it's this idea of this lavish, extravagant banquet that we receive and we have and we get. And I want to challenge us do we have this kind of view of who God is? Do we see God as this generous, lavish, abundant, extravagant God that has given us everything already? And that in response, that we can give everything back to Him. That's why I want to leave us with the one thing for this morning. The one thing is simply that we must elevate our expectations of God who has expended everything for us we have to elevate our expectations of God who has expended everything for us. I want to give us some next steps. First one is assess what kind of mindset you have. Think about it. Do you have a poverty? Do you have a scarcity mindset? Like think about what you answered on that the quiz in the beginning, right? Did you pick the $60 one at, did you change your answer because you had more? that's probably an indication you have this poverty mindset or this scarcity mindset ask some of your friends say hey friend like do i do i exhibit these traits and just you could be honest just you know just tell them you could be honest with me and i won't take it in a wrong way I, just don't say i'm cheap right or maybe you could just say just tell me i'm cheap right if i'm really cheap but ask someone assess what kind of mindset you have. Second one, ask God for bigger faith. Ask God for bigger faith. And sometimes we don't even need that much faith. The Bible says you only need faith as big of a mustard seed. But it's more the, the target of who your faith is in. And so that bigger faith is not so much like, how much faith can I have? But it's more like, who do you believe God to actually to be? and you elevate your view of him, then your faith is going to increase. And lastly, you think it's going to be an A, but I'm going to throw you off. It's a B. Sometimes we just do this alliteration. We're like, oh, okay, it's the same AAA. Triple A. It's a B, all right? Be generous. <laughs> be generous. Because as we experience a generous and abundant God, we elevate our expectations of who he is then naturally that outflows into a generosity that we can pour out into other people. All right, let's stand together and we'll respond in worship. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.